You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, so last week we talked about the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, where the Holy Spirit moved in scripture throughout the Old Testament. He is not just a, a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament and a New Testament. We saw God moving. And then I left you with a question last week, which I'm curious if anybody thought about it. Uh, first of all, anybody kick under your seat and see if there's any snakes under there today? Uh, no? All good? Okay. If you missed my story last week, I grew up in a, uh, a home where my great-grandmother was uh, part of the Holiness Church, which is, uh, we always called it the Backwoods Holiness Church, you know. Um, but it was a very charismatic Pentecostal church, and I'll never forget going when I was about seven years old and uh, walking into church, and lo and behold, there, there were boxes under the pews, and uh, when they kicked them, they rattled, and I thought, oh, no, what are we doing here? And, uh, and they did uh, do a lot of dancing, a lot of singing, a lot of speaking in tongues, a lot of... Uh, playing with rattlesnakes, which I was like, I don't know that I'm all about this. This is, I'm good with one t- one time here. So that was a little bit of my upbringing. My family, uh, my mother, father, sister, and I, we didn't go to that church, but that was my grandmother. And she was a, a sweet lady that loved Jesus and, and believed very heavily that the Holy Spirit had the power to do anything. And uh, so um, that, I think, is what we began to see in Scripture. And so we, we talked about last week, I left you with the question, of all these things, of all the ways the Holy Spirit is moving in Scripture, uh, what is keeping us from allowing Him to move in our own life? And maybe He is. Maybe He's moving in miraculous ways. Or maybe uh, you just didn't have enough knowledge of who the Holy Spirit was and how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, But Jesus made a promise to His disciples that said, You will do even greater things than you have seen Me do. And that would be by the Helper, the Holy Spirit coming. And so just planting that seed for you, because today we're going to launch into what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to move in our personal lives. And um, my hope is, to be honest with you, I want you to squirm a little bit. Uh, I want you to get a little uncomfortable here, because I do think oftentimes we have this slanted view of the Holy Spirit. We kind of think, Father, Son, got that all good. Holy Spirit, not real sure what that is, not what's going on with Him. Uh, But I know He's around. I know He's been there from the beginning. But how does he work and how does he move in my life? And so if it causes us to squirm and get a little uncomfortable, I think that's a good thing. I think that's the Lord starting to stir up some things in our heart and mind. And so, again, I want to look at, first of all, today, the story of Pentecost. I think that's a great place to start when we think about what does the Holy Spirit look like? How does the Holy Spirit move in our lives? And so the disciples, if you remember the story, and I'll just kind of give you the story. We won't have to read it all, but you guys are very familiar with it in Acts uh, chapter 2. So the disciples have been told by Jesus after his coming back that I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to do some things in you, and you're going to do, again, greater things than I have done. And so I want you to go, and I want you to wait for the helper, as he calls him, to come. Wait for the helper to come in. And then if you look in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the disciples, it says, are in the upper room with the doors closed, and they're praying. They're asking God to send the Holy Spirit. I think that's the first and foremost thing that we have to look at, is the Holy Spirit comes when we ask. He's not hidden around. We don't have to hunt Him like Easter eggs. It is literally a, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I need you to enter into my life and do something. 
Do something powerfully. And you may, whatever that do something might be for you. I think it's uh, oftentimes we don't experience the Holy Spirit in our own lives because we have not asked the Holy Spirit to come. Now, some of us have, and, and, and we experience Him in small ways. But I, again, I believe and I'm convinced that uh, when we begin to truly put aside our, our fear of the Holy Spirit, our pride in ourselves, and humble ourselves and truly say, Okay, God, you do what you want to do. And then you better step back and look out because that's when he begins to work. And that's what he did in the lives of the disciples. I said I wasn't going to turn there, but I am going to turn to Acts chapter 2 if you happen to have your Bible because I think it's important to look at exactly what we see happen here as they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. It says in verse 4, And they were all filled, so this is after they were gathered in one place, and it says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. Now that's just a pretty powerful imagery anyway, that we've got tongues of fire literally resting on the heads of the disciples, doing something miraculous. And what does he do that's miraculous? It says, and he fill, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing we see is they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I know we get a little squirmy when we start talking about speaking in tongues. But this, is not a, this doesn't have to be a squirmy thing. Jesus literally said he's going to come and he's going to do some things that you haven't experienced yet. And so when the Holy Spirit came into the lives of the disciples... They were so empowered that they began to speak in other languages. Now, how do we define other languages? Uh, I'm curious, what do you think about when I tell you, when, when we hear that they began to speak in other languages or other tongues? What comes to mind to you? What do you think? Jacob, go ahead. Okay, so you're thinking literal languages, like a different language that's being spoken. Like uh, somehow I, I miraculously know Spanish. You know, because of the Holy Spirit. Very much could be. It says we know that later on that people heard the disciples speaking in these tongues and, and they thought they were drunk and they weren't. Uh, but um, so there's, there's something going on. And I think that gives us some clarity there, too, that there was a language, although then, now this was the time uh, that Pentecost was a, was a feast day. And so there were a lot of people in the city at that time. And there were languages of all sorts that were being spoken in the city because of the gathering of God's people during that time. And it says in Scripture, it tells us that they could not understand them so much so that they thought they were drunk and had too much wine at 9 a.m. in the morning. Of course, Peter goes on in his sermon there and says, Hold on, guys, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. They're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so while, yes, I don't want to dismiss the fact that maybe they're speaking in an Aramaic tongue or maybe a Greek tongue, we do kind of get a hint that this language that they're speaking is not one that's familiar to those who are around. And so what, what could it be then is that we, yes, Frank, what do you think? And that still happens even today at the Advent House. That's the way kind of you go in for prayer and there are folks praying for you upstairs. There are folks praying over you downstairs that know what you're praying about. And so there is this sense of, um, because we're interpreting Scripture to say that people heard it as babble. They heard it as something. So if you, if you remember back all the way Old Testament, you know, the, the people of, uh, of God decided we want to build a tower to get to God. You remember that whole deal? And uh, they, were, they were all speaking the same language. And then God said, hold on a minute, it's not going to work. You guys need to... Now, 
there's no way they could have built a tower that tall anyway, I don't think. Uh, but God was pretty convinced that, hey, I'm going to teach them a lesson right now that you can't be God and you can't get to me by building up a really tall tower. That's not how it works. And so he confused them and he gave them different languages to speak. And it was hence being called the Tower of Babel because it sounded like Babel to each other. They couldn't communicate with one another. And so this scene here that we get in the book of Acts I think we can interpret as kind of the second scene of Babel. You've got some babbling, some various languages that are being spoken. And I, a lot of commentaries can be read about this. But I do believe that we begin to see that the Holy Spirit comes into the lives of the disciples and they begin to speak a heavenly language, a language that cannot be interpreted by others who don't have who have not, and we know this from Paul's words later, who, who do not have the gift of interpreting tongues. And so they're speaking in such a way that they don't really know what they're speaking, but they know that they're speaking something that God can hear or God can understand. There's a heavenly language, and I've often heard it referred to when you're speaking in tongues. And, and by the way, this still happens today. Speaking in tongues happens quite a bit today, as a matter of fact. It's a, I, and I don't think that it went away uh, when the Old Testament said, okay, we're wrapped up, old, those tongue things, we're not going to do any of those anymore. No, I think we still, Paul is very clear that gifts, now he's also very clear, gifts come, but we can't elevate one gift over another. And so that uh, you may have the gift of speaking in tongues, but you also may have the gift of prophecy, or you may have the gift of teaching, or you may have the gift of, you know, all the various gifts. And so there's not one that's above another but that there is an element that continues to happen today that as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that indeed the Holy Spirit may give you a tongue that is not your own. Okay? Does that make sense to everybody? Is that, uh, so there are those I know, very personally I know of folks. Uh, in fact, I was just prayed over last week by some guys, and they spoke in tongues as they prayed over me. It's a beautiful thing to be prayed over. I don't have a clue what they were saying. Although uh, often when I'm, when I'm being prayed over, if you're being prayed over in tongues, oftentimes there is someone who is there who will say what they just, what they just spoke. And that was the case. Uh, these particular guys that were praying over me, that one might speak in tongues, the other might interpret what he just said, might say what the Holy Spirit's giving them. And so it does happen still today where the filling of the Holy Spirit for some, and, and I'll give you this, there were nine guys praying around me as I, I took a trip this week on a, doing some training. And there were nine guys around me. I think two of them had the gift of speaking in tongues. The other seven did not. And it wasn't as though the other seven were like, man, we're missing out uh, because they had other gifts that they were given that were very powerful. And so, again, we see here a new language given, a, a language of heavenly language that's spoken here by the disciples, where they begin to pray so much so that people have no clue what they're saying because they don't understand they haven't been, get, been given the gift. And the disciples weren't parading it around, in fact. They were praying it so, and it became so loud in the midst of that room that others heard them. Um, and we can get to that <clears throat> a little bit later about how that looks. Secondly, though, I think there's something that's very important here that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you get to verse 14, where Peter then addresses, he says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. 
And then he goes on to give his sermon about how they're, they're not drunk. But in fact, Jesus came, died on the cross for their sins so that they might be saved. And he gives this story of the gospel. And so there's secondly here, we've got new languages that have been spoken by the disciples in particular. And then we've got a boldness that comes. A boldness that comes from Peter where he stands up among, and this is thousands of people. We know it's thousands because it says 3,000 came to faith on that day because of the words that Peter spoke. And so there's a boldness that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. How many times have we, have you, been out and uh, gotten into a conversation with somebody? It starts to get somewhat awkward because they're really wanting to know about Jesus and you're very nervous. Do you get nervous about that? Oh, gosh. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't tell them the right things? What if, what if they have questions that I can't answer? And then we begin to rely on our own strength, right? How many times has that happened? I can, I'll tell you countless numbers of times. But what we see here is this boldness that comes. The disciples begin to proclaim the gospel. And that when the Holy Spirit begins and we get out of the way and we let the Holy Spirit take over, that how many times have you come away from a conversation and said, I don't even know what I said. Um, but God was moving and God was speaking. I mean, that's a cool feeling. It's a little bit scary at times too when you go, I, I don't, you know, because I've had people come to me and say, hey, you remember that that you said? And I'm like, I honestly don't remember saying that. Um, and, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that was the Holy Spirit leading. And so um, this boldness that comes and gives us words to say when we don't have words to say, when we're scared, when we're nervous, when we don't know how to answer the questions that people might ask, we would say, Holy Spirit, guide me. God, you give me the words now. And that we can trust, because he did it then and he continues to do it today, that he gives us a boldness and he gives us the words. And then finally, in verse 37, we see something that happens in the day of Pentecost. Uh, if you skip over in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And this is Peter's response, which I love. It's the same as Jesus' response. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you, what does he say? Will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which I think leads to a great point. Number one, it gives us power. The Holy Spirit is power. The Holy Spirit comes into our life when we invite the Holy Spirit to come in. Then power that we've not experienced before uh, outside of the Holy Spirit comes and begins to, to move in our hearts and in our lives. So there's power that comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, what does it say? If you for, ask for forgiveness and repent, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which leads to a great question. Repent, do we have to be repentant in order for the Holy Spirit to move? Any thoughts on that? Chicken and egg. Chicken and egg, okay. Can The Holy Spirit can move, bring us to repentance, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's a good point. Holy Spirit can move, draw us to repentance. Would none of us come to the Father except through His drawing, right? So the Holy Spirit draws us to Himself. But then there's this opening up or there's surrendering of our lives, our hearts, our wills to say, fill me, Lord. And so what Peter says here is once He's drawn you, you then have to make a repentance. You have to say, 
I need forgiveness. And when that happens, when that forgiveness happens, and when that repentance happens, it doesn't say you might receive the Holy Spirit. It says you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I would probably argue that persons who have received the Holy Spirit through repentance as brand new Christians probably go, I feel different, something's great here, but I have no idea what that means. And I have no idea what what I'm supposed to do now other than I'm excited and God has done something and I feel it. You know, there's a feeling that comes with that. And so I do believe that that is where this new power that we don't know how to explain really because it is the Holy Spirit moving comes. And these, and Peter is very clear in saying when repentance and forgiveness happens, the Holy Spirit is present. And I believe if you tie it back to what he's just experienced in those words, we could interpret them to say, you'll experience what we've just experienced because it's the same Holy Spirit. You may get a new language. You're going to get boldness. You're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes and comes into your heart and life. And so when they heard this, they were cut to the heart because of that power and because of the Lord drawing them. We live in an age of the Spirit now. So we're, we're, you can cut, put us right in there with the disciples, where when the disciples received the Holy Spirit and they waited on the Holy Spirit, we are there too. And so I had somebody the other day say, I feel bad because um, I don't want to just be asking God for things all the time. I said, I get that. I understand that we don't want to ask God. You know, God's not a pinata. We've said that. You've heard that before, right? We're not just going to whack God and ask him for something and, and then move on. But there is a sense in which we see Peter actually telling the folks there, ask for the Holy, receive the Spirit, ask for forgiveness, draw near to him through repentance, and ask for that. And so I think we as believers um, need to have a boldness where we see the disciples doing some magnificent things, we need to have a boldness to say, I need more of the Holy Spirit. Do our prayers look like that? Do we begin to ask those questions? Holy Spirit, I know you're there. I know you're in me. Give me more of you. I think a lot of times, and I'll just be honest, for me, that, that prayer's a little scary for me. Because I'm like, oh man, what is that going to look like? Like, am I going to... Uh, I mean, am I going to start dancing in the aisles and people look at me all crazy? Uh, am I going to pick up rattlesnakes like my great-grandmother? Um, you know, what's going to happen when, the, when I ask the Holy Spirit to start moving? But what I want to remind you of is that um, when the Holy Spirit began to move in the lives of the disciples, He moved in such a way that it was gentle and it was delicate and it was in His timing. So they had been they had been. Uh, prep for what the Holy Spirit was going to do. Jesus had continued to tell him, hey, I'm going to leave you, somebody. The, the Holy Spirit's going to come, the Comforter, the Great Provider. He's going to be with you. And so they're, they're already prepping their minds to receive the Holy Spirit coming. And then when they receive it, they do receive it in power. But we see that, it, that more power, more of the Holy Spirit was poured out in the disciples' lives as they began to do ministry, right? And so I do believe that as we ask for the Spirit's filling, that we can say confidently, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Show me what that looks like today. And then would you keep filling me tomorrow? And then he's not going to say, hey, I got a bucket of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to dump the whole thing on you. Good luck with that. I don't think that's the way it works. I think he's going to say, all right, here's a, little, here's a little scoop. I'll let you experience that. 
And then once, once the Holy Spirit's moving, you keep praying for more. I'm going to take out another scoop and I'm going to pour it on. And I'm going to pour it on. And eventually, you're going to get all of me because you're going to continue to ask for the moving of the Holy Spirit. And I can assure you, once the Holy Spirit begins to move in your life, um, and you, many of you could probably testify to this, that the Holy Spirit beginning to move in your life, you're going, man, I want more of that. Give me some of that. I, I can't get enough of that. I want to, I mean, it's the, it's the transfiguration, right? It's Peter and, and James and John sitting up there with Jesus going, hey, we want to capture this. Can we build some tents and hang on to this moment for a minute so we don't go anywhere? We want more of this. And so as we begin to boldly ask for the Holy Spirit to move in our life, He begins to pour Himself out on us. And then we begin to experience Him in new ways. And there are six things I do believe that the Scripture teaches that happens when we are children of God and the Holy Spirit is filling us. One of those is we become sons and daughters of God. Romans chapter 8. Because those who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory." So there's a, a sonship or a daughtership that comes with knowing the Holy Spirit, that He pours His Spirit out and He testifies on our behalf. That's a beautiful picture, by the way, to stand before the throne and knowing that the Spirit testifies on behalf of us. Hey, I feel that person. I know that person. When we stand before our Heavenly Father, Jesus not only steps forward and says, I know that person, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is very involved in that process. It says, yep, I'm right there in their life. I'm there. I'm involved. Jesus died for the sins. I feel them. They've been doing the work that they have been called to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this sonship, this Abba, Father, this, and that's a beautiful language there that where we see that Abba is really a daddy. It's a daddy father. It's a, you know, my kids growing up, I uh, always loved walking in, especially when they were little and they were, you know, barely walking. They'd trot up to you when you'd come home and their arms would go up in the air, you know, because they wanted dad to hold them because they hadn't seen me all day. And, and I loved when they first started saying daddy because it's dada. Da, and I, I translate that thinking about the same way. That's what Paul in Romans is, is telling us that we are to God. We're filled with the Spirit and that da-da moment, that moment where we are in the presence of God because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the work that Jesus has done, then we can come and say, da-da, Father, Abba, you're it. You're all that I have. It's a relationship with God. This relationship with God um, is, is beautiful because the Holy Spirit draws us into deeper relationship with God. How many times have we met those folks who have made a profession of faith and then you see them in a couple years and say, hey, how's that going? They're like, ah, you know, it's just not going that great. I kind of fell away. I kind of, why is that? Why does that tend to happen? Well, I believe that there is a, it's a two-way street. Yes, God's drawing, but then there's a part of us that has to draw near to the Lord. You know, we've heard that scripture. You draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. And so there's this drawing near. And as we draw near and as we uh, sink our teeth into the Holy Spirit, then we are drawn closer to Him. 
And even though uh, you turn that around on the flip side, how many people have you met that they've come to faith and the Holy Spirit was alive and they've been, they've been nurtured and mentored and walked alongside that they would say, man, I've never felt closer to the Lord in my life. Two stark stories, right? One saying, Holy Spirit moved. The other saying, I, I think, I know, but I'm not, I'm not moving in that direction. Now, we don't, I take a caveat here. The person who would say, I know the Lord, but I've fallen away. We don't just go, well, guess you missed it. Sorry. Um, Holy Spirit's out of you. No, we come alongside them and say, well, let's walk alongside you and show you what it means to be repentant, truly receiving the Holy Spirit and be filled. I mean, there's evangelistic opportunities there for those things. And so that son and daughter, that relationship with God, he brings us into his presence. Scripture tells us that the barrier is removed through the power of the Holy Spirit. The veil has been taken away by the cross, right? And so the barrier is removed. And once we receive the Holy Spirit, once we live into the Holy Spirit more and more each day, then we find ourselves coming to God without a barrier because the Holy Spirit has taken that away and He's drawing us closer and closer. He enables us to understand the Word of God. The Holy Spirit tells us in Scripture that we're given wisdom in Ephesians chapter 1. Revelation through Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit is, is given to us as we draw near to the Holy Spirit and as He reveals those things to us. Thirdly, the family likeness. We become more like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. I often pray in my own life, God, would you make me look more like Christ today? Because I need that. I don't look like Christ if I don't have the Holy Spirit moving me into that process of looking like Christ. And it, then we know that the Holy Spirit in Galatians, once we have the Spirit, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things that I can't do on my own. But as I draw near to the Holy Spirit or as He works in my own life, then I can look at that person who I really don't love and know how to love them. Or I can have joy in those moments where joy seems like it's nowhere to be found because the Holy Spirit is moving. I think about the people of, um, of both Afghanistan and then... Um, I just went blank. Ukraine, there we go. Afghanistan and Ukraine and the stories that have come out of those places... Uh, as uh, the Afghanis were taken over by the, the Taliban. And the Christians in that region have gotten letters back to the United States for those who are supporting them saying that, that even though we're hiding, even though we know our life is threatened, we are filled with joy. And I read those and go, now that's the Holy Spirit moving. That can't come through our own strength. That's the Holy Spirit drawing near to us. We are, uh, we are in the family likeness. We become more like Christ. Fourthly, there's a unity in the family. That uh, when you walk into a place and you meet somebody, it's so interesting to me. Um, several months ago, Allison and I, this was back on our anniversary back last August, we had taken a trip, just the two of us, uh, down to Dolphin Island for a couple of days to get away. And we stopped at uh, Peach Park, which, you know, if you go in that direction, you got to stop at Peach Park. And so we stopped and we had lunch. And, of course, uh, cobbler and ice cream, which is always prepping you for the beach, right? So anyway, um, we're, we're sitting there and we're eating dessert. And this couple behind us, they're an elderly couple. They're probably in their, I would say, late 80s, early 90s. And um, they had a friend with them. 
And Allison was looking at him. She said, I feel compelled to go and pray for them. And at first, the way she said it was, I feel compelled to pray for them. I was like, okay, well, let's just pray for them. She's like, no, 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 no. I feel like we should go pray for them. Like, go, I was like, oh, oh, okay. All right, we're going then. Here we go. Um, and so we finished our dessert, and she's like, oh, man, this is going to be awkward, but I know we're supposed to do this. And I was like, well, if we're supposed to do it, then let's do it. So we walked over to this couple and, uh, and just said, hey, this may be really awkward for you, but um, the Lord just told us to, be, to pray for you. Is there anything specific we can pray and it was the sweetest moment. This, this couple, this lady spoke up and said, we've been married for, I think it was like 52 years or 56 years or something like that. And this is our friend and, and uh, we've been dealing with some health issues and it's so kind of you to want to pray for us. Would you pray for that? And we said, yes, let's pray for you right now. And it was one of those cool experiences where, you know, when you walk up to somebody and there's something different, you just feel it, you know? Uh, it was real clear that when we began to talk to them, man, these, these folks know the Holy Spirit. They've got the Holy, because they began to just unite with us in that prayer time. In the middle of Peach Park, you know, we were probably all awkward to everybody around us. But it was really sweet to just pray for this older couple and their, and their friend that was there too. And that was very much the Holy Spirit just saying, hey, I, gotta, I, I just want to show you how I'm going to bless this person by you praying for them. Um, I think that's, that's that unity in the family that we know through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are connected as one, you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus prayed for that in John 17 when he said, let them all be one. That Holy Spirit was leading and guiding. Fifthly, the gifts for all the children. Now, I told you before that there are gifts of the Spirit that come. And so, uh, does anybody in here, and again, you don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody in here know the gift of the Spirit that God has given you? You've been given a gift of the Spirit, whether that be prophecy, speaking in tongues, teaching, preaching, whatever it might be. The, one of the, do you know your gifts of the Spirit? Marshall, you're about to raise your hand. I'm not going to make you say what it is. Yeah. But, uh, but I know, Marshall, I know that he knows what, the, what his gifts of the Holy Spirit are because we've had the conversations. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing. If you don't know what those are, I would encourage you. Uh, there are many uh, assessments that you can find an assessment for just about anything online, right? And so if you were to type in gifts of the Spirit uh, assessment, you can go and fill out, a, fill out the forms and say, I think this is where the Holy Spirit has given me the gifts. Um, the scriptures are pretty clear, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week when we talk about worship and liturgy and how, how the Holy Spirit moves in worship and liturgy. Uh, but Paul says that to some he's given the gift of apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, teaching, and what's the, the S? I um, uh, forgot the S. Uh, service. No, not service. No, it's... Anyway, we'll talk about it next week. I'll be prepared for that next week. Um, but it's, it's often called APEST. So apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, teaching, shepherding. That's the, that's the S, shepherding. Um, those gifts, it's quite fascinating to me that those gifts exist in the body of Christ. And you don't have all of them. You may have little pieces of all of them. But there's going to be one or two that are going to rise to the top. And you're going to go, man, I really do have that gift. I have that gift. You know, I love people, and I love coming alongside people, and I love uh, worshiping with people. I love teaching people. I love discipling people. The Lord has given me a gift of shepherding. I know that. 
because that's my heart. My heart begins to thrive when I'm walking along somebody and, and shepherding them in the faith. Um, so those are gifts that the Lord gives us. And each of you, take heart this morning, each of you has a gift of the Spirit. I just wonder, though, if we don't know what they are, are we really able to use them well? So that's where I would encourage you. If you don't know what your gifts of the Spirit are, take one of those assessments. They're really easy. Or begin to read in, in the Scriptures all the various things where the gifts of the Spirit are given and say, Lord, would you reveal to me what my gift is so that I can use it? That's where Paul ties in the whole thing about, you know, we're the body. And we're not all ears and we're not all eyes and we're not all fingers and toes. We're all different things. But without each other, we aren't the body anymore. And so using the gifts of the Spirit in unity actually unifies the family and the body of Christ as one. And so the gifts, and, and that goes to 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says that each of us has been given a gift. And so if you're sitting here this morning going, I don't think I have any gifts. I would push back and say, oh, you do. Everybody does. Everybody has a gift. You've been created with a gift. So maybe you haven't tapped into that gift. Maybe you don't know what it is yet. But you do have a gift somewhere that God is saying, I want you to use it for my glory and for my service. And Paul says that. He also says they're free gifts. You don't have to pay for them. They've already been paid for. The gift is for all, and those gifts are used for common good. So I, I kind of get off a little bit of a tangent here, going back to when the disciples spoke in different languages. Let's just call it tongues because that's what it was. That's what we know is familiar language to us. The disciples spoke in tongues. What was the purpose of speaking in tongues for them? To glorify God, to glorify God. and to bring others to faith, right? It wasn't to glorify themselves. It wasn't to say, woohoo, look at this gift God gave me. Um, there's a humility in gaining a gift that we would say, therefore, the common good of the, of the body of Christ. And so when you learn what your gift is, you can then say, hey, how am I using that gift for the common good of the body of Christ? Um, and then again, we, the wor- one of the worst things that we can do as a church, I think, and this is any church, is to say, hey, you don't have this gift, but we're going to stick you in this ministry and make you do this gift. And you're going to think, and some people will do this because they say, well, I got a good heart and I just want to serve. And then they'll come away in a month and go, I'm miserable. I can't stand this. This is awful. I thought it was going to be good. Well, it's because we forced you to do something that's not your gift. And so if we're all using our gifts appropriately, then you, those people who are who are teachers, especially dedicated to children, are going to love teaching children. But if you put somebody who doesn't like children that much teaching children, they're going to go, this is miserable. I'm out of here. No more of this. Um, so we have to learn what your, we have to know what our gifts are. Um, and then finally, growth of the family. The gifts of God are for the growth of the family. Um, I, I'll use the, the, the prophecy one, you know, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, the prophetic one. How's the gift of prophecy? Actually, Paul says this when he talks about love. You know, he says, uh, you can speak in tongues, um, and, but it's just a resounding gong. And he actually says the end of that. Actually, if you want the greatest gift, this is what Paul says, the greatest gift is prophecy. Why? Because he believed that if we have the gift of prophecy, in, in other words, that God gives us a word to say to someone that might encourage that person or that might direct that person in the right path, um, then that actually is the building up of the body. He's not saying that the tongues are not significant, 
But he's saying the prophecy, we actually see the gift of prophecy being something that is one of the most edifying gifts of the body because you're lifting others up. You're pointing people in that direction. You're encouraging the brothers and sisters in the faith. Um, I had a great friend who uh, is a priest, and he went to a, a conference one time and where they, were, where they were praying over him. And this lady came up to him after they finished praying and said, I have a word for you. Now, let me just side note here. Some people can give words and they're not, they don't have the gift of prophecy. And those words might be like, what? I don't know what that even means. That's, that's just a weird word. Um, but truly using the gift of prophecy came up to him and said uh, a prophetic word like uh, God wants to use your gifts more than what you're allowing him to use. And at the time, that's, at the time, he was like, I don't know what that means. I mean, I feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. Um, but he had been toying with the idea of writing and teaching uh, with uh, on a broader audience. And he said it was that woman and the word that I had been praying through, and it was a comfort, it was a confirming word for me that I needed to pursue what I had felt like God was already telling me to pursue. But her word confirmed the very thing that I thought God was doing. Um, um, funny yet not funny story. Um, you know, sometimes you might flip on the TV and flip through TBN or whatever it might be and get a little, you know, you might have a little Benny Hinn action going on or something similar. And I remember watching something just flipping through one time and there was a TV evangelist uh, and it made the press. I didn't see it in person, but I'd seen it after the fact that um, there was a revival going on and uh, he had on these combat boots, you know, as he was preaching up front and this these people were down front and he was praying over them and he actually kicked an elderly lady in the face. And so this whole, you know, this whole thing and, and his response to that was, I felt like God told me I needed to kick her in the face. And I was like, that is not a good word from God. That you, you really misinterpreted that one. That you need to go back and go, hey, wait, are we sure here? Because that, that doesn't seem right that I would. Um, so the, I think there, the Holy Spirit, there is discernment in the midst of uh, allowing for those words. And that's kind of a little bit of a tangent. But the, the purpose of those things that we have as gifts are to help the family of God grow and to point the family of God together so that the, the, that the Holy Spirit would empower us and unite us and strengthen us. So how can I experience the full power of the Holy Spirit? How can you experience the full power of the Holy Spirit? I think we're almost out of time here. Um, that would be the question that I would have for you today is, how can you experience the full power of the Holy Spirit? So my challenge for you today, and I wish uh, I, would, I should have left more room for dialogue. We'll try to talk a little bit more next week. You can certainly bring your questions about what we talked about. Um, but begin to pray this week. Um, and if you, again, if you haven't done um, maybe some of those spiritual gifts assessments, just uh, go find one and say, what are my gifts? And then begin to ask the question of God, Lord, how do you want to fill me with your Holy Spirit so that my gifts are being used for the building up of the kingdom of God. How do you want to use them? Those men and women at the Advent house, they have the gift of prayer and you walk in and you know it immediately when you're being prayed over. They're using their gifts because that's what God has called them to do. You have some of those same gifts. What are they? And if you struggle with how do I use those gifts for the glory of God, come talk to me. We can talk about it. We can dialogue about it. Go to a brother or sister who, uh, who is using their gifts and say, hey, I want to learn how to use my gifts that the Spirit has given me for the uplifting of God's kingdom. So I'll leave us with that. I'll pray for you. 
next week I do want it to be a little more interactive as you talk about worship and liturgy. We're going to spend some a lot more time praying next week, and maybe even asking the Holy Spirit to fill us in such a way that when we enter into worship and liturgy, that it's evident for those who are around that they would say, man, that place is a place that's following the Holy Spirit, that's led by the Spirit in their worship. So let us pray together. Jesus, I do pray for those who are in this room. Lord, that uh, as I've just given a lot of scripture and a lot of knowledge, God, that this wouldn't just be knowledge-based. Lord, this is, this is things that uh, we can learn everything about and do nothing about at the same time. And so, Lord, may it not be the case. May we spend this week praying and asking and seeking, crying out to you as Abba Father, to say, fill us, Lord. Show us what it is our gifts are so that we might use them for the building up of your kingdom. For the sake and glory of your Son, we pray this. Amen. I'll stick around if anybody has questions. You're welcome to kind of come chat with me. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.